When I was in medical school, I got really comfortable closing my eyes and picturing a wide variety of rashes and skin conditions. From eczema, psoriasis, to skin cancer, we spent a lot of time talking about how these conditions might present. We also spent a lot of time learning about how to diagnose and how to appropriately treat these conditions. I never really thought about how what I was picturing could be really different in people with skin of color, even though I myself am a person of color. It wasn't until I was taking my own daughter with really significant eczema to her doctor that I realized that our conversations and my concerns were really different from a lot of what I had been taught to focus on in medical school. Instead of really worrying about the eczema itself, we were talking a lot about the loss of skin color from her eczema and whether or not that skin color would come back. Would she ever have even skin tone again? And how long would that take? I'm Dr. Neha Bata, and you're listening to Health Discovered, a podcast by WebMD. When we think about skin and hair care, we all pretty much know that there isn't a one-size-fits-all remedy for all skin types and all skin tones. But many health professionals haven't been taught to tailor our conversations and counseling to the specific and sometimes unique concerns that conditions like eczema, psoriasis, or alopecia might raise for people with skin of color. So today, board-certified dermatologist, researcher, and published author, Dr. Shoshana Kindred of Kindred Hair and Skin Center, joins us to talk about what led her to create her own skin and hair center, the education gap in medicine when it comes to ethnic skin and hair care, and the skin and hair conditions that commonly affect people of color. Did you notice when you were training that, you know what, there's one type of skin that we're really paying attention to and a whole other spectrum that we're not even really learning about? Did you notice that in training? So I'm really, really lucky, um, kind of, sort of, but not really, because I trained at Howard University, right? And so what I noticed is we would read a research article and then our conversation was, okay, how does this look in Blacks? How does it look in Asians? How does it look in Latin A? Not too much of a difference there because Latin A really is um, white, Blacks, and everyone in between. But there was a difference for Asians. And that's what was different. And I thought every institution did that, mm. right? Because the textbook had pictures of all white skin. Obviously, there's tons of non-whites in America. So every institution is supplemented. It wasn't until I um, graduated. No, actually, I got a hint when I took the boards and not a single question. What's mm. going to color? That mm -hmm. was like where when I'm studying, there's nothing to do with uh, stuff where, you know, blacks really, really carry the burden of. But then mm -hmm. I took the boards. That was another hint. And then uh, in practicing and just seeing what my colleagues were doing, it was like, no. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, and really good people, great mm -hmm. intentions, 
care about their patients, but it was just the curriculum, you know, the training that was lacking and, and patients can feel that. That's the other yeah. thing. We can't insult the intelligence of our patients. They can tell if you're a smart person, but you just don't get it. Mm, you know, and I yeah. think that's why a lot of times um, black patients in particular will seek those of us that train out of Howard or those with the quote unquote niche or specialty in, um, in skin of color, which I don't consider myself a skin of color expert. I just consider myself a competent dermatologist, mm-hmm. but some people have to um, carry that title for patients to know we get it. Yeah. Right? I can treat anyone who walks through our door. Yeah, no, I, I think that's such an interest. I'm just thinking back to medical school myself and thinking about, it, it, like you, I actually didn't have much exposure to derm during training mm-hmm. and I'm internal medicine in primary mm-hmm. care. So we, you know, we saw the, or we learned about the general rashes and the eczema and the, you know, psoriasis and other things like that topical dermatitis. So like, you know, it, it, I'm sorry, contact dermatitis and things yeah. like that. Um, but you know, it was really when I had kids and they had skin Mm. issues that I was sort Mm -hmm. of like, huh, every time I took them to a dermatologist, it was, you know, we didn't really talk about the hypopigmentation that happens. So Mm -hmm. that means like the loss of their skin Mm -hmm. tone that will happen in certain areas or Mm -hmm. the hyperpigmentation in certain areas. Mm -hmm. And then how do I manage that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it just, I think that that's, you're so right that, you know, all of everyone I saw was very well-meaning, but mm-hmm. didn't necessarily get to some of the questions that were most concerning for me and sort of my kids. I have a, a tween, so she's very conscious about. Very conscious. Right. <laughs> I have a 12 <laughs> like, year old. I get it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so it's just sort of like, you know. Is this so? She has really bad eczema, so she has all these patches on her face that are have lost their pigment. So for a mm. while, we were like, "Is this?" And we have a family history of vitiligo, and mm-hmm. where where that's where it's an autoimmune condition. Where right, so everybody, it, where people that have it, the your body's actually destroying your your skin's um, pigment producing cells. So we Excellent were really explanation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, try- I'm trying with the derm. I'm like, let me make sure I say things right. <laughs> the pressure was on. A dermatologist was listening to your explanation. <laughs> so, do you experience things like that? What is it that when patients come to you, they're like, oh, "Thank you. You're finally like sort of talking about something that may have been missed." What are some of those things that that people come to you and are just so thankful that they're they're talking to you about it? You know, unfortunately, it happens every day and all the time. And at first, it strokes your ego, right? You're like, yeah, I know I'm good. I connected that patient. But after a while, you realize, you know what? No, you're not good. You're normal. It's just you have some culturally incompetent colleagues, right? And it kind of pisses you off a little bit. Everybody should just go to the closest dermatologist to them. But instead, I have people flying across states and things like that when for, for, for psoriasis, Right. For eczema, for dandruff, you do not require anything more than your average dermatologist for those mm-hmm. conditions. So hair is a big thing. Um, first off, most derms don't like hair. I took an L for the field. Right. That's my passion. <laughs> but then they don't know black hair or mm-hmm. how you mentioned how it's important to you. The discoloration 
it's very um, underwhelming, the emphasis of discoloration in like our textbooks, et cetera, right? But things that are quite important, such as erythema, we, you know, we have a whole, you know, we have chapters on it and it's covered within other chapters, for mm. example. Um, by the way, you might be describing pityriasis alba on your daughter's yes. face, but we'll do a side, yes. a curbside. Correct. Yes, um, that's exactly. <laughs> That's what, yes, you know, your brain always goes to what's the thing that I'm the most concerned about. And then you're right. It was, it's pityriasis alba. Okay. It was. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But there's no excuse. Right. So I had no clue what a tanning bed was before I started during residency. And I grew up in California and I still had no clue what a tanning bed was, but I was expected to know about it. Expected to understand that patients get a euphoria. That's why I can't just say stop. I have to explain that I understand that they feel good about it. I understand that they think that a base tan is healthy, right? Mm -hmm. I was expected to be able to connect with my patients. There's just no excuse. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to understand that if a woman comes in with a hijab, I need to let her know, oh, we have a policy. No one will open the door um, without knocking first. Can I see your scalp? You're just expected to know that with your patient. I think it comes a little bit out of like human decency, knowing what's important to your patient at the bottom, at the end of the end of the day, you could just ask what, what's most concerning to you about this? What's bothering, what, you know, what worries you the most about this opposed to the patient feeling scared to ask or a little bit embarrassed. They might feel like if the doctor didn't think it was important, maybe it's not really important. Are they being silly for worried mm. about it? Um, I'm sure I've missed the ball on, um, on some patients too, right? I'm definitely not perfect, but it's really well known that for skin of color, that discoloration is important. So no one should be missing it. Now, I think you bring up a really important point. While we need to sort of really make our training more robust and make mm. sure that people are really thinking c cultural competence, and I, I, I think and I hope from what I'm hearing from my colleagues in academic medicine that, that they're really trying to look at that, that patients... That people, when you go to your doctor, don't be scared to say what's important to you, um, because sometimes you are actually training your your doctor, doctor. you're training your healthcare mm -hmm. professional on mm -hmm. how to take care of the next patient. If you mm -hmm. let them know that, hey, you know, this as a person of color, this discoloration is really bothersome, or this is something that I'm concerned about. Like just a simple question, like do I need sunscreen? Like a lot, I didn't grow up ever being told or ever even thinking about sunscreen. Mm -hmm. And then one day too much sun. And I remember with my friends, I was like, there's something, something's happening to my skin. I've got like stuff coming off of it. What, what is this? <laughs> and that was the first time that someone was like, you're peeling, that's sun damage. So that happened to me. I wonder if we all have that story. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you talk to you? Let's, let's talk about something, some of these simple things that is, how do you talk to your patients of color about things like sunscreen? Is it important? Is the same data there that just like with, you know, lighter, um, less pigmented skin, you have a definite relationship with UV exposure and skin cancer. Is that the same thing for people of color? No, and I'm glad you asked it like that. I think some people are just taking data um, that's been present for years, 
erasing the word white and then writing in the word skin of color. And it doesn't work like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the average black person has the SPF of um, 13.4, right? And then higher if you have more melanin, lower if you have less. And that's constant. It doesn't that's wear off after two hours, right? So there's some protection there. At Howard, and, and please know, we saw a ton of black patients. At two black patients, with the basal cell carcinoma and or BCC. And that's the most common skin cancer. It's like 4 million cases a year. And I saw two in three years mm. in a black person and probably a good thousand cases in my white patients. So it really has to do with um, anti-aging, believe it or not, for blacks and wearing sunscreen. We age as well, we just age differently, right? More sagging and discoloration. So when someone comes in to help even their skin tone, we're talking sunscreen, but I'm not, Mm. I don't wanna say lying, but I'm not misleading them to think that I'm recommending sunscreen for skin cancer. They get skin cancer, it's typically, uh, uh, let's say from a wart from hydronitis separativa, those are two ways you can get SCC or squamous cell cancer, or melanoma on the hands, feet, nails, acrylantigenous melanoma. Uh, basal cells is uh, not number one for blacks, but when it does, it is on the head and neck. So usually you can see that. It's not hitting mm. like melanoma. So for blacks um, and cancer, the solution isn't sunscreen and it's not even annual skin checks. It's awareness. So you know how you mentioned you didn't grow up knowing to wear sunscreen? We don't grow up knowing to um, get a suspicious looking mole checked out. Mm-hmm. That funny little brown streak in our nails checked out. Mm-hmm. That's that's where the um, the solution is. That's where the prevention is, is awareness. Now, yes, we're sunscreen for anti-aging. Um, and we just wish they would, I, I don't know if I should say this, but stop putting so much chemicals in our sunscreens. Um, because we're thinking we're seeing very mild allergies with sunscreens that could be causing some thinning of the hair. We're not sure. Mm. We're trying to figure out, but just like keep the junk out, right? Mm -hmm. Just block the sun and keep the junk out. Uh, You know, I love that. I think there's so many things there to unpack again. I, I, you are like a wealth of information. I think that that is (laughs) so the nerd that sat next to you in high school. (laughs) (laughs) so i think yeah i mean one that when we're talking about skin of color there is some natural sun barrier there um and that is pretty effective or or pretty good with regards to skin cancer but the anti-aging benefits of, of things like sunscreen, covering your face, staying out of sun, you know, in, in, in the times of like the most intense um, rays of the mm-hmm. sun, those are important for all of us because of skin aging and, and other types of uh, pigmentation changes and things that we're all concerned about. Mm-hmm. I think that your point about really the awareness of getting a rash checked out is really an important thing culturally because I think that there's culturally uh, kind of something holding us back. Sometimes I see it mm-hmm. in my elders a lot too, where it's mm-hmm. just like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna give this 
a month or two months or a year before I talk to somebody (sighs) about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So really that awareness of rashes, moles, moles that are changing, really important is particularly hands, feet, soles of our feet, um, face and neck need to be checked out. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, for Derns, we're feeling really important right now considering monkeypox, right? So everybody Mm -hmm. wants us to take a look at these bumps. And what sucks is, right, this is also mosquito season and and flea season, et cetera. Um, So it's a little bit easier to convince people right right now, right, to see their derm. But you're right, culturally, um, no. If it was on the skin, it wasn't that important. But let it be shortness of breath, right? Let it be tingling in the arm. or, you know, whatever. And you ran straight to the, they ran straight to the doctor, but not so much for the skin. So I'm glad you mentioned monkeypox. So, because that is on a lot of people's minds. So what is, what is that looking like? What are you seeing in terms of people of color, in terms of, you know, less pigmented skin? Are you seeing a lot of cases? Not yet. I'm in Maryland. And so our cases are, I think, still less than like 200, for example. But for derms, we see the differential diagnosis. We see all the lookalikes, too. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had a case. I'm pretty confident it's folliculitis. We tested it for folliculitis and we have to wait two days to get the test back, um, a bacterial culture. But we don't have the test for monkeypox. And we, I think, Health systems are still figuring it out. Um, I don't think our health department knew what to do when we called. And then the poor, um, you know, nurses and and PAs at the urgent cares are supposed to fix it all. So mm. we just ordered to test ourselves so that we can test our patients. We know that if there's going to be a zebra, an outlier, an unusual looking monkeypox, derms were the one who'll catch it because they don't get the prodrome. Mm-hmm. Right. I can't ask, oh, have you had a cold, uh, any URI symptoms or whatever is this, the version we're getting is not following instructions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just for our due diligence. We should be ruling it out like pityriasis, rosea and RPR. It's probably PR, but we still have to rule out syphilis just doing our due diligence. Mm-hmm. So. I think we're going to get the most lookalikes out of everyone. And we just, we're at our office. We're prepared to just test it ourselves. Right. Interesting. So, yeah. So I think if somebody has a concern, show up, get it checked out. There's a lot of other things it could be as well. So it's, it's good to be on the safe side. I would love to talk to you about hair now, because that is sort of where you're really spending a lot of your time. Um, and particularly when it comes to things like hair loss in the black community, um, in men and women. So what is it that you really want people to know when it comes to, to hair loss and what can be done about it? So if I could just boil down my burning desire (laughs) for what (laughs) I want people to know, it's one is alopecia is not a diagnosis. Alopecia just means hair loss. Nothing more, nothing less, right? That's like saying Mm -hmm. cough. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you have acid reflux GERD or if you have COVID or if you have lung cancer. You tell me Mm -hmm. nothing. All right. And there's like 15 different types. That's one. 
the second burning desire for everyone to know is that biotin does not work. I need to know who was Biotin's publicist because whatever they did back in the day has been working decades later. Biotin does not work for hair loss. And as you know, it messes up lab results. It's funny that you said that, that my husband does not take any supplements. He's also a, he's a gastroenterologist, but we have a lot of Biotin at home. Uh, There's a lot of (laughs) prayers around the Biotin. So thank you for saying that. (laughs) I'll, I'll save you a couple of coins. (laughs) <laughs> you don't have to resupply your biotin. That's um, great. Yeah. yeah. For the Black community, though, those are just my burning desires, right? That was for everybody. Mm-hmm. For the Black community, though, um, it's important to know, to if you have hair loss, to seek treatment by a dermatologist that specializes in hair loss early, right? As Black women, we're pros at camouflaging hair loss, whether it's braids or weaves or wigs or swoop or what have you. And every one is thinking they're the only one with hair loss. So to really seek treatment early and a way to tell is just part your hair down the center. Hmm. And if you see the part start to widen, then you might hmm. have some thinning and you should see a dermatologist that specializes in hair loss. And, and I'd love to sort of jump from that topic to personal care products. As, as you mentioned, we're all sort of like experts at or, you know, particularly women mm-hmm. um, and then women of color at, at, at camouflaging. I like how you said that or, or trying to find our own solutions. But and, and there's always some personal care product for whatever ails you. It's out there. It's being marketed. And like you said, it concerns me because these are a lot of chemicals that we're putting onto our bodies, into our hair. Um, we already know with other health disparities that people of color, particularly black people and black patients are at higher risk for certain cancers, heart disease, diabetes, and some of that may have some environmental um, connection. So what do you talk to your patients about when you're talking about personal care products and, and protecting yourself? This is, um, gosh, such a wonderful point that you're bringing up. So um, there's a couple of of facts in what you just said. One, for for Blacks, we know that hair products that target Blacks, particularly particularly Black women, are more likely to have carcinogens and endocrine-disrupting chemicals. So that's one. And we know that breast cancer for Blacks has really increased um, dramatically in the last couple of decades. Uh, infertility is high, diabetes, et cetera, all stuff related to EDCs are high. We also know that Blacks are more likely to leave leave on products, right? So for mm-hmm. most other cultures, products are applied and then rinsed out. Whereas easily in a daily routine, we can apply two leave on products and then also not wash our hair for another week or two or more, right? If say we have braids. Mm. So we're actually doing a study, um, I would, you know, I hope I hope the study is wrong, but we're looking at the chemical levels of phthalates in the urine of Black women with and without CCCA and then looking at their exposure to phthalates. Let me back up. CCCA. CCCA is central, centrifugal, cicatricial alopecia. Central because it tends to form in the center of the scalp. Cicatricial meaning it starts small and it spreads. 
um, I'm sorry, centrifugal means a spread, and cicatricial means a scarring, and then alopecia, hair loss. If you look at all forms of hair loss, there are more Black women with CCCA than all of the forms combined. Like, that's the one. So, yes, wow. androgenetic is number one in the world. That's the hormonal one. But CCCA is number one in Blacks. We're suspicious that a lot of these chemicals, whether it's relaxer, leave-in conditioner, a gel, hair grease, whatever, we're suspicious that they could be really activating some of the genes associated with CCCA, then getting absorbed into the body, wreaking have it, mm-hmm. and then being you know, spit out in the urine. Uh, so what I tell patients is you could put anything you want in your hair, right? My patients still have to look fly, but mm-hmm. you only put what I give you on your scalp. Mm. And I'm hoping that that reduces some of the absorption um, until we figure out exactly what chemicals to avoid, uh, which ones are truly are inert, um, which ones are good. And it hasn't really been studied that well. There's a few of us who, you know, with our little engine that could, right, little private practices are trying mm-hmm. to figure it out. Wow, that's amazing. I'd be, we'd be so curious to see um, what your results pan out looking like. That's really interesting. It's funny, I had a, we had a previous episode where we were talking about hygiene practices and culturally, you know, how things might be different in different cultures. Mm-hmm. And I was mentioning that for me and the way I grew up, oiling your hair was just like critical. Like Tuesday. Right. Normal. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like um, right now, like I was just looking at my, you know, the image and I've got some flyaways. Unacceptable. If my mother was here, <laughs> unacceptable. So, yeah, no, I think that, you know, it is there's an important thing for us as doctors, as healthcare professionals to be aware that different cultures use different types of products and what may that af- what effect that may have on health. And mm-hmm. then I think it's really important for us culturally to share that information with our health healthcare professionals so that, you know, they, they learn that this is something that I may need to ask about. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Are you, maybe you're not, I'm a little insulted that they took and how like culture have been putting oil and whatever on our hair for like millennia. And then they're making a rage and calling it slugging. Like no sis. <laughs> This is not new. This is not new. Oh, we there's a whole other podcast episode of what where I get personally yes take personal. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like yes I yes turmeric we do know yes deep breathing exercise yes these are yes yes, boiling the hair and skin yes that (laughs) not new not new not new to us I guess so yeah there we go. That's right. Well, is there anything else? You know, there's one thing that I wanted to ask you about. I don't want to, uh, I want to be mindful of your time too, is, you know, creams that lighten skin color. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, that are clearly more people of color interested in things like that. I know that in India, there's a huge industry of mm-hmm. lightening products. Um, and there's so many, as you mentioned, just concerning chemicals um, in those products, um, not to mention just what that means mental health wise, if you feel that you need to do 
um, something like that to feel more attractive, et cetera. What do you, what do you think about those products? How do you counsel around those products? So that's a very common thing. And we probably here have a 101 things in our office alone to um, lighten dark marks. So for patients, I tell them to look at the breasts, uh, the skin on your breast under your bra, that's your normal skin. We're not going past that color, right? Um, we use bleaching products like hydroquinone for really dark areas and non-hydroquinone products that are either plant-based or protein-based lasers. We could, we do it all, but we do not go past your natural color. And the reason why we still treat it, even though we don't believe in, in over whitening the skin, we treat it because that's important. Insurance doesn't think it's important, um, but it's actually quite important to um, have a nice, even skin tone after acne, right? Mm. You get a mosquito bite and now you look like polka dots after, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's Christmas and you still have those dark spots. So, mm. so I understand normalizing the skin color, but um, the very first appointment, the patients know uh, what our goal is and while what the patient want is very important they would have to find another doctor if they want me to lighten their skin um, beyond their normal natural color so interesting that's and that's a great point so thank you for pointing that out we started this discussion talking about how even skin tone is really important to all of us and so Mm -hmm. whatever we can do sort of safely to achieve that is also important very much so very much so I think with hair and with this, there's a, a, like you said, in India, a whole industry where uh, they'll sell our patients anything, right? So now there's, um, what is it? Um, IV glutathione. And that's not safe. I don't know how it's legal. Uh, where you're getting an IV to, to lighten your skin. That's a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I am so thankful to have had the chance to have this conversation with you, to learn more about you. Anything you wish I had asked you that we didn't touch on? Thank you for having me. Can I tell you, I did not realize the podcast had started. It was just such a natural, <laughs> it was such a natural conversation. And then at some point I was like, oh, this is it. We're doing it. Um, <laughs> um, just, uh, I would point out that we're pretty savvy that people will try to sell hair loss patients anything and, you know, buyer beware, wear, but it's not always just in money. Sometimes they're, they're trying to buy your likes and your clicks and your shares and things like that. So not everything posted on social media, no matter how charismatic and convincing mm. it is, is evidence-based. Mm, I love that. That is such an important point for where, a lot of people are, are getting health information, so critical to not just look at the likes, but think about the evidence. Exactly. So ultimately, we know that there's no one skin fits all approach to caring for skin and hair. This means the conversations we have with health professionals also need to be tailored to address our unique questions and concerns. So if you feel like one of your major questions is not being addressed, it's time for you to educate your health professional about what's most distressing to you. 
and what you and your healthcare team can do to manage it. You can learn more about Dr. Shoshana Kindred and her hair and skin center at kindredhairandskin.com. Thanks for listening to Health Discovered, a podcast by WebMD. I'm Dr. Neha Patak, Chief Physician Editor for Health and Lifestyle Medicine, and I want all skin to have the right medical visibility and support. See you next time. Thank you.